This is Media Moves, the podcast for executives to make sense of the perpetually moving media landscape. I'm Adam Ryan. Amanda, thanks for coming on the podcast. Welcome to Media Moves. All right. Thanks for having me, Adam. We kind of met each other a few months ago. You occasionally talk to my very good friend, uh, Becca Sherman. uh, And Becca was like, you have to follow Amanda. I was like, I obviously already do on Twitter. She's huge. I love Becca. We, I we got to We got to meet in person a couple months back, and that was just a lot of fun. It was really funny. She's like, you're going to love this person's energy. And then we were waiting for the right time for the podcast. And with this season of content of commerce, I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to have you. So thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, for everyone that uh, is not familiar with what you're up to, do you mind giving a little background of kind of who you are, what you're working on? So I, I'm the VP of marketing for audience research startup SparkToro. Uh, We create B2B SaaS tools to help founders, marketers do better marketing. Uh, That's my day job. Aside from that, I've been a marketer for, what, like nine or 10 years prior to this, uh, was a tech news journalist, and then at some point took a little detour into culinary school. So I'm a journalist, a classically trained chef, worked in a test kitchen, and now a marketer. And maybe I'll wrap up with, you know, I've been on Twitter officially for like 14 years now. But I only really started posting on it maybe like two years ago. And in the past two years, have been able to grow my following from something like 700 to now over 100,000. 104,000 as of this recording. Uh, (laughs) Give yourself a little more credit there. Yeah, your, your growth on Twitter has been huge. And what's been impressive is that you're, you know, a lot of people do these like same playbooks, I feel like, or they have this like group of people that there's just like constant retweets and they almost like use this like, oh, they have a huge following and then they have a huge following and they kind of like do this circle of growth together through like hidden text messages. But you've just continued to grow because I think if I was like, if I didn't know who wrote a tweet, I could still tell it's yours. Um, It's very much you. When you think about building an audience on social as a starting point of like building a brand, do you think about it that way or do you just try to like be yourself? So it is both. When I started out posting on Twitter, I did look at some of those growth guides to see like, well, what people who did grow their followings, how did they do it? Like, is there a sort of playbook for it? So I looked at that stuff and I don't know if people, whoever's listening, whether or not they're familiar. I mean, a lot of the advice is like, you know, optimize your bio, basically show some amount of social proof and specificity as to why someone would follow you. Step up your reply game, right? So reply to accounts within your niche. From an impression standpoint, where you're trying to generate impressions for yourself, ideally, those would be larger accounts. But the way I see it is, if someone is relevant to you in your niche, and you think what they have to say is interesting and you you can add on to it with like some supplemental information that helps to strengthen their point. If you have an insightful question or even just a funny joke and a funny joke that doesn't put anyone down. Right. So just things that um, are adding value to the conversation, you know, lead with that and then post your own stuff. Right. Like, I mean, I was only really posting maybe like 10 to 12 tweets per week. Yeah. So trying to focus on high signal to noise and then also wrote weekly threads. Um, I've been writing weekly threads optimized, you know, for high engagement. So those are all pretty standard playbook things. But I think one sort of 
mistake I think some people make when they look at this audience building stuff and they look at the playbook and they reflexively think, ew, this is gross and bro-y. I think sometimes those people are thinking about this as a sort of binary, either or, good or bad, yes or no thing, where I don't think these playbooks are inherently bad, right? I think there's a way to look at it to be like, okay, that's how people do it, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to sacrifice my integrity in order to do this. So I saw it as like, these are some interesting guardrails. I think I'm going to follow this, but I'm going to always make sure that I do it in a way that feels authentic to who I am. Like I'm yeah. just, I'm just going to be myself. And if I ever feel like I'm veering off path or if I myself am feeling too broy, then I'm going to pump the brakes. <laughs> Speaking of that, there's also a huge difference. If you look at a lot of the big successful accounts, a lot of them are men. A lot of them are friends. Uh, they live in New York together. They, it's like just like you can name who these big people are. And you're not in that demographic. You don't live in New York. You live in LA. We have a lot of women media operators and creators who listen to this podcast. What is your advice for them? Is it different? Do you see it differently for the playbooks? Because I think, you know, from an outside looking in, it, it definitely feels like you have a more uphill battle in some ways because of the harassment on Twitter and some of the other things. I feel like I haven't actually faced that much harassment on Twitter. I mean, just, you know, speaking for myself, right? I think it's because I stick pretty closely to my niche. Yeah. Like I really just stick with the things that I know well, the things that come from firsthand experience, hard-won lessons, and within my expertise. And I'm also careful about the hills that I'm willing to die on. Sure, I might have a strong point of view on parenting, if, if pressed on a, on a question about like, what, what do you think people should do here? Sure, I'll have a strong personal opinion, but... I don't think everybody should live their life in the way that I do, right? So I'm also not going to say parents should do this because I'm not an expert. Everyone has their own, you know, approach to life, their own beliefs. That's cool. So like, that's kind of a small example of a hill that I would not die on because I think, you know, every parent I know, every single parent I know is absolutely well-meaning and is making the best possible decisions for their child. So I've never judged that. But you know what I mean? Like, like you can kind of see where like that could get dicey, where Big let's time. say I were to say something like you need to sleep train your child when they're two months old. Like, I don't I don't actually believe that. But if I were to say that, you could imagine that that would get pretty heated pretty quickly. And then it kind of goes back to like, well, why would I want to die on that hill? I yeah. don't. Right. <laughs> I don't have a strong a strong opinion on that. So I keep my strong opinions focused to what I want to be known for, which essentially is marketing. So if I have a strong point of view on like email list cleaning or creating a content strategy, I'm absolutely willing, willing to defend those. I think that's like distinguishing your personal and professional, like what you're willing to die on. Because if then if you do take any negative hit, you're like, this is what I believe in my professional work. So like, great. I say that experience of... Um, my own uh, lack of empathy about 15, 16 months ago, I tweeted like, man, the best part about Twitter is uh, the DMs. I don't know why people don't have them open. And my wife immediately screamed across the house and was like, delete that. <laughs> and I was like, why? And then she was like, uh, explicit pics. And, uh, and I was like, oh. And within like five minutes before I deleted it, it went viral. And I like got absolutely pummeled by 
women on Twitter being like, really, this is why. And like, it was like horrible. And I was like, wow, I like never thought about this. So I've always like taken that when with work week, we have so many creators of all different types. I'm like you, everybody has different experiences here. And also like you sometimes don't even realize what some people go through, like even with the best of intentions. And so I always like to tell that story though. I left that tweet up uh, and I apologize because I I thought it was worth it, but it was also a lesson in listen to your wife uh, quickly uh, (laughs) and don't question it. Wow, I, I didn't I didn't see that happen. Uh, yeah, it was probably like February yeah. of twenty one uh, or oh, so. No. But um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a it was a day. Uh, everyone knows that moment that you uh, you have a, a moment on Twitter where the hate comes in. But I think it was, you became it was the des- main character. It was it was deserved. <laughs> um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, and then you know I think. With all that, there's so much like you're you're even strategically thinking about like, hey, this is a personal thing I believe, but I'm not going to die on that hill professionally. I do this when you build that social brand. Like, what to you? What is the intention of the investment of Twitter? Like, what are you ultimately trying to get out of it? Like, why would you invest your time and and resources into that? Okay, two years ago when I first started doing this, and I was running marketing for an SEO content agency called Growth Machine. The intention there was marketing for the company. So building a personal brand, helping to create some pipeline to get new customers or new clients. That was the first goal. After a little while there, my second goal became more intrinsically motivated. And I decided, you know what? I don't want to ever have to do a traditional job hunt again. Like I wanted to take better charge of my career and my, my, my career path and to not have to be beholden to uploading my resume into what feels like a black hole. <laughs> so once I kind of reached that sort of milestone, you know, I, I got my current job, SparkToro, basically through Twitter, right, where um, my boss, Rand Fishkin, followed me back and we became Twitter friends, then became real life friends. I pitched them on joining the company and now I'm here. And so now the way I'm kind of seeing it is I'm still looking at it through the lens of career, like how can I use this channel or this platform to yield better results for the things I'm doing in my work? So it's still sort of that career angle, but little bit of a little bit of a nuance there because it's no longer about job hunting or like traditional career paths and more about general growth, like growing SparkToro as a B2B SaaS company, even just growing my lead list for my content marketing 201 course. And just continuing to gain recognition as an internet writer. Yeah. And I I mean, it's to move something forward in your, I mean, you've started in your personal life. We all know that. I just saw a great tweet, by the way, about resume is like, God bless the companies that don't ask you for all the same information that you, that's on your resume that you just submitted like twice. I think the tweet was hilarious, but um, (laughs) the professional aspect of driving leads, SparkToro, like how you tie that into it. What so far, like you have 100,000 followers and also a lot of people have a lot of followers. You have a lot of engagement. Um, If you go through your Twitter threads, you consistently have tons of engagement. Do you have any like tangible takeaways for the audience listening to this of like, if they're like, is this really like a thing that can move the business forward? Do you have any real life examples of of how that's that's benefited you from like a business perspective, whether through SparkToro or personally? So let's start with the SparkToro angle. For SparkToro, you know, I said earlier, we're an audience research startup. Some people listening might be, might have tuned out and been like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Other people might reflexively understand it. So essentially what we do is we help people find 
their audience's true sources of influence. So if you're marketing to an audience and you're wondering like, what podcasts do they listen to? What social accounts do they follow? What other websites do they frequent? We can tell you all that. And we tell you all that through publicly available online behavior. So through like public social media profiles and things like that. That's the product that we make. Maybe it's a bit hard to understand or hard for me to explain. And so I see it as we're basically creating a category of audience research because we don't really have a direct competitor to what we do. There are social listening tools that have some similar features of what we do, but it's not the same thing. So the angle that I'm taking to this as I create content on my rented channels, so to speak, on my social channels, is how do I normalize a lot of the outcomes that you get from using SparkToro? So right when I said sources of influence, podcasts people listen to, I have a feeling that's still sounding pretty squishy to people listening. So instead, I've been creating content that's oriented towards the outcomes you'd get. So things like, here's why your cold outreach sucks, because you're not reaching the right people. Here's how you find the right people. Here's how you do some intel to find out the people who are interested in your offering. Or things like, there are over 200 million Twitter users, you know, hundreds of million LinkedIn users. Your marketing doesn't have to reach all those people. In fact, it shouldn't. Here's what you should do instead. So the things like that that I think are better or easier to understand, like, what do you mean my marketing shouldn't reach everyone? What does that mean? It basically becomes, well, you need to do audience research to do that. But I'm not going to explain it by saying audience research. I'm going to explain it by saying you need to go to Reddit and find the fastest growing subreddits. You need to make Twitter lists that are based on people in your niche. And that kind of backs up into how you can use SparkToro to do that. So kind of in sum, it's showing people the outcomes that they get that are very easy to understand and then sort of backing that up into a product-led content strategy that explains how to do it through SparkToro. What's so different is I think a lot of consumer products have done historically, if we look at Instagram and TikTok, they have historically been consumer brands. Everything from Razor Company, CPG, like you kind of think about the brands that dominated social of the mid 2010s, like they're all consumer. What you're doing is taking a product content strategy for a B2B SaaS product and doing it on social, which 10 years ago, just like that didn't exist. Uh, people weren't doing that. And when you, as a marketer, wearing your marketer hat for SparkToro, are you seeing people come in and be like, I finally understand it. Like you have a complicated-ish product and are they like, hey, I follow you. Like totally, this resonated with me. This is the problem I have. I need this solution versus doing traditional ads that are kind of more, less personal, harder to understand. Totally, yeah. So we, we, we basically do all this through through what I'm calling modern content marketing. So it's not really like an SEO-driven blog. We do it through our monthly office hours webinars where Rand or I lead a presentation where we have like our, our community participate in the chat. These are free to join. Anybody can join. And we show you how to do something marketing related, whether it's better cold outreach. Maybe we'll walk you through some lesser known marketing tools or we'll do something on event strategy. So things that are just marketing in general, right? Yeah. And then we kind of back that up into but here's how you can use SparkToro to make that better. And right. so that kind of makes it easier for our audience to understand what we do. I also have a bi-monthly or twice-monthly 
audience research newsletter, which is performing very well. Like I actually, we cleaned, we cleaned the list recently, but at this point we have over 55,000 subscribers and wow. our open rate is like 45%. Wow. So it's performing really well for us. And that's all just stuff, again, like here's everything you need to know about audience research slash it's better with Sparktoro. Yeah. The idea just being, I want everybody to get value out of it and to slowly kind of understand how we Sparktoro play that role in it. And the last thing I'll say is in in terms of more tangible outcomes, you know, I'll say that I'll admit that, yeah, like we we were very fortunate to kick off or launch our product with a huge email list because there were so many people who have followed followed Rand and his career over the years. So it's true, we got to launch to a captive audience, but we've kept them engaged through the content that we create and always leading with high value, giving away as much as we can for free, right? The free office hours where like, in a sense, I, I honestly see it as like, this is a chance to get free marketing strategy advice from the guy who was the first person to codify SEO and me, <laughs> some person who grew on Twitter, right? So like, that's a pretty high value, you know, presentation. And so we're, we're creating all this content and continuing to grow our list through the content. So like, for instance, when I promote our office hours, I'll usually be able to promote it through a high engagement LinkedIn post and Twitter thread. And we can usually get at least a couple hundred registrants from those channels. We can get maybe like 200-ish from LinkedIn. This is, this is just from posting about it. And then maybe 70 to 100 from, from Twitter. So you're talking like 300 plus leads for that. Uh, mm -hmm. All organic uh, value yeah. that, right? Like this incredible value. There's two types of listeners listening to this right now. There's going to be some media operators who have a room full of journalists and writers. And there's also companies that are looking to build out their content strategy. And there's kind of this two, two headed monster that I, I always I kind of think on both sides from and something that you're threading the needle that I actually think connect that makes you really unique. And I'm why I'm so excited you're here is that I think every, a lot of people think about webinars. A lot of people think about, Hey, use social to drive to office hours, et cetera. And you're using high value. A lot of people like have put that in their marketing meetings, like in general, if you're somewhat talented, but executing that to actual high value requires work and talent. And your background of as a journalist, I feel like has inspired that, where you're actually doing your due diligence ahead of time. All of your work is normally fairly researched. You're like, you use, you don't just show up and say like, this is a push for SparkToro. You're like, this is actually a story that I'm telling, like I would for my audience. And then here's this aspect where SparkToro is intertwined. How do you... If you had to give advice of like for content marketers that are struggling to like see the results that you're talking about, what advice do you have them to help them execute better? Figure out what you're really good at and then double down on that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm lucky that I get to work with somebody who's very good at all the things. But yeah. <laughs> for instance, where we have an unfair advantage is through video. Rand is very, very good on video. I remember even in his days at Moz when he when he hosted Whiteboard Fridays for a while, I think I don't even think he did, he did any prep for them. I think he would just kind of sketch it out like a rough draft for an hour right before he would record it. And that would be it, Yeah, which is really, truly unheard of. Like most people can't do that. So he's very good at video. But I'll also say 
there are other people who are really good at video. Like being good at video means, you know, knowing how to break the fourth wall, for instance. Like maybe like right now you and I are talking, I'm looking at you on the screen and this is maybe okay, but maybe I should break the fourth wall and look directly into the camera like I'm doing right now and talking to the audience and reacting with them. And I think people who are good at video are aware of those things and they're aware of, you know, on-screen charisma, emoting, right? Looking interested in the person they're communicating with, all those things. Now, being good at writing is, right? Being good at, I think, well, one, I think most, I think every content marketer needs to get good at direct response copywriting, and this is something that I've, I think I've talked about it with you and I've definitely talked about it with your co-founder, Becca Sherman. We've talked about like people need to get good at direct response, no matter what kind of marketing you do, really, but especially content marketers. And then if you get really good at that, then double down on the writing thing. I think in general, content marketers have, I think, the pressure to be everywhere all at once, to be like, we got our blog going. Okay, it's been a month. Great, we've mastered the blog. Now let's launch a podcast. We have two podcasts. Great. Now let's go into YouTube where that's already doing too much. I think it takes several months to truly master or, you know, gains great control over something and then moving on to the next. And I think it makes it a lot more economical in the long run. It's not about raising a ceiling. It's about raising a floor. And like when you master a channel, you just raise your floor. A lot of people are like, well, look how much we can get to with a ceiling argument. But like, I'd actually just rather raise the floor and be like, look how now we know this channel is great. Now we can move on. I think mastering the channel is exactly a takeaway. There's the flip side of this, though. And obviously, a lot of companies have started to look at how to use media companies as a content arm, uh, going to Barstool being acquired by Penn Gaming, uh, Under Armour acquired MyFitnessPal, HubSpot acquired The Hustle. This is like kind of happening a lot. In a way, what you're doing is is building your own media arm for SparkToro by by being you. How do you really think about that like last hook though to bring up SparkToro? Like when you you do your office hours and you do that content, how do you not feel like you're just like selling it versus like intertwining it? Do you have something that you kind of like ask yourself before you press publish? I love this question because it is something that I think about that I didn't know that I think about. Because I am conscious of seeming like I'm just giving a SparkToro pitch or I'm just doing like a demo slash pitch. But at the same time, I'm, I'm aware that it's, it's kind of it's necessary to get people to understand what our tool does. So when I worry about seeming too salesy, I just make sure that what I'm doing has standalone value. If I'm giving an example of how to use SparkToro to find influential social accounts, then I'll give a couple of examples across like B2B, B2C, maybe e-commerce, and then showing examples there so that anybody in, within those niches can go like, oh, wait, is she showing influential social accounts in e-commerce? Like, I want to look at this. So it at least gives them that value, even if it's giving away the thing for free. Yeah. We're like, yeah, ideally, I want someone to become a customer and then get these insights for themselves. However, I don't think that we're going to get to that point if I don't just give away some free stuff first. So then I'll show like, okay, here's a screenshot of like 10 highly influential e-commerce social accounts that are beyond Nick Sharma, right? Who Who is like amazing and everything we know, 
but he's not the only person, right? I think anybody in e-commerce would say, yeah, I know who that is, but who else? So I try to kind of give this mix of some of the obvious. So I try to give a mix of like, if I'm, if I'm giving away this free information, I try to make sure it's a mix of a little bit of the obvious answer so that people know it's correct, right? Because if I were to present, well, we're going to stick with Nick Sharma as example because I'm a, I'm a fangirl. Uh, if I'm showing like, hey, here are some influential e-commerce accounts and I don't show Nick Sharma, then people are going to be like, wait, why isn't he here? Like everyone knows like he's the guy to follow in D to C. Like that's crazy. This like, He should be here. But I also want to have a mix of people who are lesser known or at least just lesser often mentioned so that people can also feel like, ooh, I don't know that account yet. Or, oh, yeah, that person is great. Like they don't get enough love. So people like Joanne Coffey at Jones Road, who's done a lot, you know, has seen a lot of success in like creator marketing, especially on TikTok, other paid social. But, you know, hasn't like been around for the past 10 years in a public way, right? So I think to some other marketers, a bit lesser known. I, I'm just trying to be careful because I don't want to make yeah. it sound like, oh, no. no one knows her because that's not what I'm trying to no, say. That's what not I'm trying it. to but say is like a little bit lesser mentioned. So lesser, like, I think there's yeah. less lesser recognized folks out there that are either newer in their journey or haven't had the exposure that they quite deserve yet. And like what you're saying is you're building trust by like, hey, you have to include Sharma because like, duh, right? Yeah. Um, and also like you build trust by also mentioning people that don't do this. And I think that's like, that's the hook that you're really saying is that people read through bullshit. Like if you're just saying I'm the only person to follow in this space yeah. and Rand, like everyone's gonna be like, okay. <laughs> um, you know, where if you actually give honest answers that like you believe, even if they're maybe competitive or whatever, like you're saying, you think that's, that's really how you hook them through, through the, through the sale. There's also just the notion that like, look, the rising tide lifts all boats. If I'm going to give love to other kind of up and coming creators and marketers and other people in the space, that raises their profile. Good for them. But it also helps my case to, to show like, hey, you can use SparkToro. You can use audience research in general to uncover this kind of information. 100%. So I kind of just see it as like everybody wins in cases like this. Yeah, I I know he has a newsletter that does this. Daniel Murray like does that to the T, right? That's his whole strategy is like helping totally. helping other people lift off. And you build bigger audiences yourself when you help. I think the rising tide lifts all boats is something that I totally preach and, and believe in as well. Pivoting a little bit to about your background as a journalist. There's also on the flip side, there's a lot of people who run newsrooms here. And part of a lot of journalists' job is writing headlines. And some of them are just so bad and they don't know how to do it. And I've, I've seen this up front is like, there are some amazing trained journalists. I went to University of Missouri and I'm friend, friends with a bunch of people who studied to be journalists. Direct copywriting is not a skill they teach in journalism school, unless you're in the advertising side, which is a totally different beast. If you had advice for journalists, because I do believe it's a skill set that they all should develop, if anything, for the future of their career, how do you mentally get yourself to think that that's a skill you need to develop? Because a lot of them just so much believe in storytelling and truth, and they don't want to be seen as marketers. How do you convince them that copy is something that they should learn how to do? If you are creating content, 
it is your responsibility to make sure people see it. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't focus on truth. You absolutely should focus on truth, focus on research, focus on the greater good, you know, like deliver on those things. That is, that's, that's your job. Like as a journalist, it is your job to tell the truth. It is your job to present the data, present the facts. But it's also your job to make sure people want to read it <laughs> or to make sure they want to consume the content. So I see it as sorry, but you don't have a choice. It's your responsibility to make sure people read the thing. And then what would you do to develop that skill set or what did you do? I see this as some combination of one, authenticity slash sincerity, right? Like it needs to be true. Uh, so authenticity, a little bit of the SEO angle, the SEO angle being, well, what's a term that people are likely to be searching for? What is a term that people are likely to be searching for with respect to the article that you're writing? And then the third piece is the direct response thing. Like what makes people want to click? So it's like being true, delivering on a highly sought for search term and delivering on a thing people actually want. Those three combinations I just put in my notes, favorite section, because those three things are what you have to have, I think a lot of people get caught up into the truth aspect. We had Toby Howell on, who's at Launch House, who's at Morning Brewery, and he said something on a, a podcast for this season that I thought was really interesting, talking about authenticity. He said, authenticity is not just like who you are as a person. It's also like how you are engaging in the platform or medium of your choice. And I think what you're saying is like, hey, if you're publishing something online, like you have to think about SEO. You have to think about how these things get seen. And that's like as important to be authentic to the platform as, as to yourself. And I think you do this tremendously well. And I'll use your example. One of my favorite things that you do is your newsletter is called The Menu. You have your food background. You also put a recipe in your newsletter every time. It's like a fun, personal way to be you. But like, it's also like a very distinctive brand. And I don't know, you haven't said this, but I would imagine that it wasn't just like, I do love food. This is what I want to be known for. But like, this is a good way to make distinction so people see my content. Yeah. I mean, I think it was like some kind of combination of like, oh, yeah, I love food, but it was also like, well, I already, I cook all the time anyway. So isn't this low hanging fruit content for myself? Like yeah. I already do this, but sometimes I do, I'll be lazy in a given week and I'll be like, oh no, I didn't, I didn't cook anything interesting. Or like I made the same thing again. I can't use that in my in my newsletter. So I've kind of veered off into like kitchen tips and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I think though, there's just a, a bigger picture than just truth and being yourself that like in order to have success and creating content is your responsibility that people see it is going to probably be the tagline of this podcast. So I, I appreciate that. Is there anything else when thinking about building a brand or moving things to commerce that, that you think someone should, should take away? I would say really focus on your unique differentiator I think, yes, you need a niche, right? Like, like, what is the thing? What is the expertise that you're giving? Or what do you want to be known for? But also really focus on what makes you or your point of view unique. Maybe it's your tone. Maybe it's the way that you speak in a video. Maybe it is the examples that you give or I don't know, could be anything, right? Like, I would say focus on that. Because that's kind of what makes people remember you, or that's what turns them into the super fans, so to speak. 
Yeah, totally. And I think the the niche helps. I think people are defaulting to niches now as like my differentiator. And it's almost like that's almost not it anymore because it's easy to just replicate and be like, I cover this, right? I'll use it. One of the work with creators covers franchises. Like at first that was just like a niche enough to be different, but then sooner or later there's other franchise people that pop up. So I, I, your point of view, the way your tone, your brand, however, what you're known, there's gotta be like something there that you identify for. And when I coach people on how to find that. What I like to say is like in basketball, if I'm a sports person, but people dribble certain ways. They kind of like have their own way of dribbling. And I always ask people like, who do you want to dribble like in content? Like who, who are your kind of favorite things? And that's a good way to then start to pull things from others that you like look up to. Totally. And then I think you'll naturally kind of gravitate towards what you actually want to do or what you're good at. Yeah. And now you were talking about like the niche and stuff. I was thinking about other people in my marketing niche who I share a very similar point of view with and I'm fans of like, but we're also very different. So like within marketing, there are various disciplines, right? So like for me, I kind of feel like my niche is content marketing, but I'm not the only content marketer, obviously, right? Which is just to say that like of the people that I follow in content marketing, there are a lot of very different people with their own differentiators, right? Like there's Rand Fishkin, very well-known content marketer. Another one, another person I really like and respect is Ross Simmons, the CEO of Foundation Inc. Like he and I share very, very similar points of view on content marketing distribution, but we're also very different in our approaches. And I don't think anybody would think like, oh, I'm going to follow Ross and not Amanda or Amanda and not Ross because we both have very complimentary sort of supplemental things to say within the broader space of content marketing. So I'm kind of just pointing to Russ as a good example of like someone who I feel like we're very similar, but we're also very different. And it's just a fun example. (laughs) Yeah, I think think it's right. If you're not taking it to a personal level and you you said a few things like modern content marketing, which is a term that you said earlier, which we could probably do a whole nother podcast on, but it feels like it's a strategy of like not only tactics and and actually like creating high value content and and putting people through a funnel in a way that they feel like they're getting stuff that shouldn't even be free, which then allows you to create a bigger pie. Part of modern content marketing is like creating your own individual brand of like what you're great at and doubling down on that, whether it's video, Twitter, or whatever it may be. And I think that applies to brands as well as individuals. I think like a lot of brands get caught up in their like, well, I don't know what to do. It's like just how do you want to be known? And like, what do you think your team is great at? You know, and that, that's kind of the, the way to move forward. Well, uh, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was so, so good to catch up. You are one of the, the best followers on Twitter. Where can they find you? Uh, what's your handle where people can follow you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at Amanda Nat. And then my personal website is amandanat.com where you can figure out how to subscribe to my newsletter. It's every Sunday. Uh, the menu, I send some kind of marketing essay, some carefully curated links and a recipe. I love it. Uh, It's a great newsletter and uh, grateful for your time today. And we will talk soon. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay ahead of media's next move, then make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? I'll see you next time.